Welcome to Authentic Influence with host Anthony Chansamuth, the show where we get real and share the stories and struggles, strategies and tactics of successful influencers and entrepreneurs so that you too can take action to create the life and business that you choose. And now over to Anthony. All right. Hey, welcome, everyone. It's Anthony Chatsmoo from Simple Creative Marketing, and we are back on Authentic Influence Live. Welcome again to uh, a new episode. And today we are talking about how to release the founder or the owner from the business. And I have my good friend and uh, one of our favorite clients, David Jennings from Systemology and System Hub on the show with us. So let's bring Dave in. Hey, Dave, how are you? Hey, good, Anth. So excited to be here. I know we've got lots of cool stuff to cover. Absolutely. All right. So let's give the audience. Now, we did do a previous episode with you where we talked about uh, the book when the book came out and, and you were going through the book launch process. Uh, there, there it is on the shelf. Uh, and anyone who wants to grab a copy of the book, you can head over to systemology.com forward slash book. I've got it on the screen. Uh, definitely recommend it. I've been reading through it and actually starting to implement the uh the processes and, and just the, the system that, that Dave talks about in there. Um, and it's been fantastic for us. Uh, and so I'm, I'm just waiting till we get it to a point where we can actually come back to you, Dave, and go, hey, you know, look at what we've done, right? But um, um, so, yeah, just talk about just, you know, your story. I mean, you, 2016, back when you were running uh, one of the most trusted agencies, SEO, uh, sorry, MelbourneSEOServices.com, all right, you were the, uh, the founder, the director, you were kind of running the ship back then. Just take us back to that moment in time and some of the challenges you were feeling, um, I guess, uh, whether you had a sense of being stuck in the business or um, what issues you saw come from being the person who kind of had all the knowledge mm -hmm. around, around how things worked. Uh, Melbourne SEO Services wasn't my first business and I'd had some experiences prior to that of building a business that was systems driven, that didn't really depend on me. Um, we'd built up a rock and roll clothing music store that we franchised out and we'd recruited people. But a funny thing seemed to happen when I started Melbourne SEO services, I started to think, ah, but this business was different. And I started to think this business couldn't be systemized because it deals with online and marketing online and Google's changing every single week and what techniques are working this month may not work next month. And I thought, no, look, as much as I understand systems and processes are important, they won't work in this business because it's fast moving. And we're a creative digital agency and I had concerns around systemizing that business and uh, that might remove some of the creativity. And I was worried that because I was working with a lot of creatives, I thought these creatives aren't going to want to follow process, even if we've got the process in place. So I had all of this baggage, which was really strange for me because I'd seen a systems-driven business before and I'd, I'd seen the difference uh, in what was required to run a systems-driven business that worked without key person dependency, without depending on the business owner that was much more scalable. But for some reason, this business I thought was different. And that um, that held me in that business probably for about 10 years too long. And it wasn't until, you know, we found out we were pregnant and uh, I thought, no, I don't want to be the dad that's always too busy. I don't want to be working the 60-hour weeks. Um, something needs to change. Then I thought, well, I need to 
challenge a lot of these assumptions that I had. And that was part of the breakthrough that, you know, birthed systemology, but in the process also got me to step out of the day-to-day operations from the, the agency. So that's, I think a lot of our audience can resonate with, you know, becoming a parent or parents um, and, and then having uh, just things you want to do outside of the business. And it's a reason why you got into the business, right? Like to, to create whether it's freedom for yourself, you know, time, uh, time freedom or financial freedom or, or these sort of things. Uh, that's really what motivates for, for some of our uh, audience. They actually want the impact. So it's, you know, how can I uh, do more than I could in my you know, previous corporate role or whatever it is there. Um, and certainly uh, for uh, the SaaS founders that are listening for all of them, it's, it's an, uh, and you're also a SaaS founder, which is really fascinating. Uh, so for them, it's, you know, build a software company that can really create um, something remarkable and, and a bigger reach, I guess, um, with the product. And eventually some of them are going for the exit. I want to sell it. Uh, and then, you know, have that life-changing amount. <laughs> I think um, some people want that, um, but I was uh, happy just to, to keep it going, but um, certainly have a lifestyle around it as well. So I love your sharing there. And um, how did you go from, you know, transitioning from running a service business into then a software company because you had, you then, mm-hmm. then developed system system hub uh, i think that was the next thing that came for you uh, and yeah. then eventually we'll get to systemology which is now the training sort of end uh, side of the business yeah i found running the digital agency that i was able to get to know my target audience really well so business owners and understood some of the challenges and problems they were having and i very much felt like i also was our target audience a small business owner that was trying to systemize their operations and we developed system hub which is a software solution to store systems processes and how-to documents in the cloud in a central location uh, that's very specifically designed uh, for systems and processes rather than using like a dropbox or google drive or something like that and we built built it first for ourselves because it was kind of to scratch our own itch but i also saw it as a common problem with all of our clients a lot of them were disorganized key person dependent didn't have a way of doing things. And that's when I kind of thought, oh, I, I can go away to start solving this problem. And I thought SaaS, I thought um, if I started off with a software company, because I'm well aware of what it takes to build an agency and service-based business, and there's a lot of challenges there. Like, I mean, you're working really closely with clients and it's high touch. And I think then the appeal of building up a software platform that you know more had customer support handling via emails and a much different interaction kind of had an appeal for me i was thinking about the scale and how software would uh, really be able to kind of solve this problem at scale Uh, and then that's what kind of started us on that journey um definitely learned a lot i think it's always a case of the grass looks greener on the other side and SaaS in itself while it's a fantastic business model there's a lot of challenges and unique nuances, especially for someone who's not a coder. Like I'm not a software person um, and you need to juggle how much you're investing into the platform, making sure that you're getting enough user growth, keeping an eye on retention. They're just different problems to solve. Um, I started working in that space and that was kind of like the stepping stone between us moving from agency to software and then into systemology, which now is maybe almost like a little bit of a hybrid, I feel. Like there's some service in there, 
there's training in there and there's software. So it's kind of like a bit of a hybrid model now. Yeah, it's really fascinating to see that trajectory because I, I remember the first, I guess, interaction I had with you maybe over a decade ago now, um, and, and, and it's just to, to see. And I'm, I'm seeing this as a common, I guess, transition point. Um, like a common friend of ours, um, you know, Meryl Bean Ninjas, is going from you know service or consulting to services now into SaaS uh, as a product. Um, and so it's really fascinating just to see that trajectory. Now, coming back to the key topic here around freeing the owner, um, mm-hmm. what what uh, what steps um, were I guess critical to actually mm. uh, for you to be able to do that as, as in any of those businesses or in, in, that, yeah. in that pathway uh, and what can our audience here really, really pay attention to if that's where they are. They're feeling stuck in the business. Maybe they're doing you know, mm. 40 hours or 60 hours in, in some cases. Um, and, and it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm delegating. I've got people in the team. The team's growing. Um, customer base is, is, is growing. Marketing kind of, is kind of working, but I'm still, I'm still stuck. Dave. Yeah. What do I do? So in the book, I talk about this idea of these four stages of business systemization. And no matter which business you're in, you have to go through each one of these stages. And you can't actually skip a stage either. You can't be in stage number one and jump to stage number four. Because part of going through each of the different stages, you're preparing yourself for that next stage. So um, when I think of the digital agency, I took it from stage one through to four, um, which is, you know, the final stage is, is having a, a saleable um, asset. Um, but when I think about where I am at systemology at the moment, I'm still moving through the stages. So the stage number one is this idea of survival mode where the team kind of makes things up as they go. You don't really have a process. And oftentimes the business owner is the bottleneck for everything because they are that center cog that holds everything through uh, together. Now, That's stage number one. Stage number two, I I call it stationary. That's where you start to get, you know, you've got real key person dependency. You have a way of doing things, but it's more trapped in certain team members' heads. They've got their way of doing things. Some people might like the idea of systems and processes. Some people might not. Um, The performance of the business usually is pretty much like a flat line. It's almost like you've hit this glass ceiling, like you're having a level of success, but you just can't grow beyond that. The next stage after that is scalable. And that's where you start to get parts of your business documented and get it out of the heads of those team members, which means you're less key person dependent, but the solution's still quite clunky. Like some parts of your business are more well systemized than other parts. And you're on the path, but you have to constantly remind the team to follow process. And then the final stage is this idea of having a saleable business, getting to that saleable stage, which is whether you sell it or not um, is not the point here, but rather having a business that is saleable, which means it's all systemized. It's not key person dependent. And the dead giveaway when you hit stage number four is the team says, this is how we do things here. And you you have a way of doing things and you don't have to constantly remind the team to do it. So as a business moves through each of these stages, and I think of Melbourne SEO, I got it to that final stage where we did. We ended up selling it. Uh, My plan wasn't initially to sell it, but we did sell it because there was a change in circumstance. And then when I think about where I'm at with systemology, um, I'm probably in that transition. We're kind of moved through stationary. I've got kind of a little bit of a foot in scalable and I'm trying to get into 
the saleable, but I'm not quite there yet. So I, I'm going through each of these stages and there are different challenges that you will have at each stage. Like, uh, and a big part of what I'm going through right now, I literally had the meeting um, earlier today for our team meeting where I drew out the uh, org map, like our, our organization talked about, great, this is our CEO. The visionary sits over here. We have department heads. Team members report to those department heads. And we go through that discussion because part of that big step when you want to remove particularly the visionary is you have to start to retrain the team to understand not to go directly to you, the visionary founder, whenever they've got a problem. They need to be going to department heads and those department heads need to be going through to the CEO. And we just need to start to change the chain of communication to avoid duplication of message. Um, you know, that causes, um, you know, waste and team members to not have clear direction or responsibility on who's responsible for what. So again, it really depends on where someone's at um, to, to think about which pieces are required. But at some point for the business owner to step out, you need someone who becomes the responsible person, who, who is the person who the team goes to that is not you. And that those reins, passing of those reins is actually the most difficult part in all of this. It's, it's finding the right person, getting them in the right place, and then having a process of handing those reins. I'm glad you brought that up because the question that came to mind immediately for me was, uh, have you had an experience of perhaps it was with the first time you went through it, you know, holding on to too much uh, because it, it's a fear of letting it go or maybe the, the quality might be the same as what you're, you're customized to, uh, mm. you know, or, you know, if, if you were to take, you know, even just a day off or even a, a week off, um, you kind of have this like feeling like you're doing something wrong because you should be there mm -hmm. and available for the team um, and, and maybe a guilt around that. I've heard yeah. some, some founders have that experience. Uh, and I think it's very natural to have that experience and particularly the first time that you do it. I'm finding each time that I'm doing this for each new business and I move through the four stages, I'm able to do it quicker, more efficiently. I understand, oh, I've felt that feeling before. That's natural. This is part of the process. And if the business is always going to rely and depend on me, then I've kind of rewired my brain to go, the business is broken. If the business has to depend on me and it only functions with me or certain key team members, then we have a problem because then we have that key person dependency. And what happens if some something happens to that person? We're going to have to plug someone in at some point in time. So I kind of really start to apply this pressure where I think forward, like rather than thinking in the moment and I sit there and I'll, I'll think, um, you know, there's that level of stress or that guilt or something like that. I'm actually doing the business a disservice because if I go five years down the track and it's still got that key person dependency, then there's a real risk in the business and the business won't be able to grow to its full potential and you won't be able to spread the message or do the work that you're here to do to the, to the level that you want to do it. 
very, very good points. And I like the, the power of the reframe of the mind where it's like, uh, if I'm the reason why it's getting stuck, it's also the reason why I, you can't become uh, scalable or, or saleable. Um, can you talk us through, you know, just, okay, let's say someone's in that, um, in the saleable or the scalable, obviously it's going to be dependent where mm -hmm. on where they are. You mentioned having a systems champion. So making sure you have someone mm -hmm. who's really in charge of um, driving the systemization of, of the business, documenting all the processes, getting the team on board, developing the culture around that. Um, and also, uh, and then you've got a framework. You develop the framework mm -hmm. uh, that is at the heart of systemology. It's in the book. It's also the program that you've rolled out. Uh, can you tell us, can you take us through that framework and, 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 and mm. um, the stages, I guess, of the framework? Yeah. And you, you touched on a few things. There. I mean, the seven stages of systemology is this idea of um, first we need to define, we need to figure out of the infinite number of systems and processes you could be creating what is the first one or what are the first set of systems that you're going to systemize? That's stage number one, define. Then the next step is assign. We want to think about where does this knowledge currently exist? And a big idea within systemology is let's first capture what you're currently doing, not what you would like to be doing. That's where some people get wrong or stuck when they think about systemization, they're trying to make it just right and perfect and they want the best possible system. So then they're seeking perfection and they're not quite sure and they're trying to figure it out as they go and then it becomes a stumbling block. Whereas I'm a, a core philosophy of systemology is just capture what you're currently doing, whatever is your best practice, start there. So figure out who knows how to answer the phone the best, who knows how to issue out the invoice the best, who knows how to sell the best, like find those people and just capture what they're doing. So that's what part of the assign stage is about. Then stage number three is we have the extract. We have to then get the knowledge out of their head. And it touches on something that you talked about, um, this idea of a systems champion or the idea that systems extraction is a two-person job. You've got the person who has the knowledge and then you have the second person who is the documenter. And that makes it infinitely easier because not everybody likes to write systems and processes. And some of your best team members are busy. So if you're going to then lump on their plate this idea that they also need to be documenting the way that they're doing things, they just might not find time or they might resist. So one way to kind of make that easier for them is to go, no, 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 just rock up, do your thing, we'll record it and we'll get someone else to do the documentation. So that's a big part of that uh stage number three which is extract uh, then the next stage after that um, is we need to organize and that has a lot to do with where is that knowledge stored and how does it link in with your project management platform uh, then stage number five we call integrate that's all about getting staff buy-in and how do we make sure that um what do we do when we come against resistant team members or, hey, the team member that says we've always done it this way. Why do I need to change the way that I'm doing things? And um, so we talk about how to address that and how to get the maximum number of team involved. Then we move into um, stage number six, which is scalable um, or scale rather. And it's all about identifying the systems that are required to grow your business. So if in stage one, define is all about what are the first systems you work on, um, stage number six is all about, well, what are the other systems required to make the business work and grow? Things like hiring staff, onboarding staff, managing staff, some of the finance systems. So that's what that stage is about. And then the final stage is actually the optimization stage. 
And that's where we then start to get a dashboard in place. We listen to the business and we start to work on the business uh, dependent on which areas need the most work or which ones are broken or which which areas are creating problems. Then we try and go to work on it at the system level. So those um, seven stages, um, define, assign, extract, organize, integrate, scale, and optimize. If you're watching the video, that's just from the book, it's probably a little bit hard to see, but we represent it as a, um, like a little cog. Uh, and, and each one of those is just a, a stage you you move through. Yeah, I'm just going to do a share screen and let's do this. Okay, so here we are. I think we're seeing this. Um, pop it up. There you go. So let's go through it. So one is defined, two assigned. We've got extract three, four organized, five integrate, six scale, and seven optimize. That's the systemology process. I love it. Uh, I love how you broke that down. Now tell us about the program because you went from you know here's here's this this methodology. Here's a way that business owners and their systems champions uh, can really um, go about the how, right? Because a lot of people mm. get the concept and then it becomes, well, how do I actually do that, Dave? Uh, what happens if I get stuck? We have questions or uh, I do meet that resistance from the team members with trying to roll this out. Uh, and then you, uh, when did you actually yeah. formulate a program and, and then sort of kind of launch system, systemology of the program yeah. and a certification uh, and then Catalyst? So we started off with, it ended up being a workshop. So thinking about Melbourne SEO services and then we launched System Hub and then I realized after a good number of clients had been using System Hub, I thought there's actually a lot missing here. It's not just the software. Really to build a systems business or a systems-driven business, it's about building a systems culture inside your business and getting the whole team on board because it doesn't even matter how fancy your software is. If the team isn't following it and the team is not bought in, then it doesn't matter. You're not going to get the result you're after. So then I thought, well, I'm going to run this workshop to capture some of my ideas. And that was the what became the basis of the systemology book. And I ran that workshop. Ultimately, that workshop got recorded, transcribed, went off to a ghostwriter, and that ended up being the first version of systemology. And then I edited it and worked on it after that. And then I launched the book. And the book was, you know, its idea was to be useful and complete and we've had plenty of people that have just taken what's in the book run with it to great effect implemented it themselves and got tremendous results because there's a few key ideas in there for particularly savvy business owners who have already you know been in business for a little while got some runs on the board understand some of the challenges that we talk about and we've identified even just talking through at the moment and then they get it, similar to like you were saying, Amph, you've been able to read it and then implement a lot of the ideas because you've been in business for a long time. You've seen some of these challenges, so it instantly makes sense for you. And then off the back of the book, I've started to realize that different people are at different stages and they need different levels of support. So we launched three levels. Um, it's just that classic do it yourself, do it in a group, or just do it for me. So the do it yourself is an online program. The Do It With Me is the group program you mentioned, The Catalyst, where we take a group of business owners over a six-month period and we coach them through systemology. And then the final one is the Done For You service where you meet with, we call them systemologists, 
and they meet with you and your team. They do some of the extraction and they drive a lot of it. Now, initially, I used to be the systemologist. I was the first systemologist. And then we realized pretty quickly as I'm getting some new team members on board that I wasn't very scalable. And we had quite a large demand, particularly off the back of the book. So then we kind of said, well, how about we build up a, a network of certified like partners as part of this global network, our certified systemologists, teach them how to deliver this service, and then effectively we can partner with them. So that way, you know, we're getting leads and inquiries and things like that, and we can be, you know, pair the two up to go, if you need a hand, then you can work with this partner to implement. So they're kind of like the pieces in our business, the do it yourself, do it with me done for you. Or if you're a an expert, a coach, a consultant, advisor, then certification sometimes makes sense as well. That's fantastic. And I like that you started off with a workshop because I think that's where a lot of people get caught up in terms of, oh, I want to, the, the idea is I want to launch something that's more, um, like you say, you know, you're limited in, in your own capacity, you know, X number of hours per week that you can actually uh, work, you know, with clients and whatnot. Um, and so to some, there's a, obviously you've observed the trend is to, hey, let's go launch an online course or an online program. Uh, and then uh, sometimes what we see is people launch into crickets. Um, so, yeah, what, yeah. What, what's your experience with that? And, and, and how did you sort of attack that when you first had the, the, you know, the, the idea that's where you wanted to go? It's kind of almost like the same with when I wrote my first book, Authority Content, and it was the same with systemology. To write a great book, you have to understand the target audience. You have to understand a real key problem that they have. And then you have to be able to solve that problem really, really well. That doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by chance. You need to test it. You need to, you know, for me, I'll run little webinars with different parts of these ideas to see how they connect. I'll run a little workshop and then figure out which parts resonate. Like, for example, the systemology, the very first version of systemology, the critical client flow, which is a key part of stage number one in systemology, was actually as part of stage number three. But I got so much feedback that it um, was one of the most valuable pieces of systemology and it was a great way to set the frame. I moved it to stage number one. Now, would have systemology been as successful as it has have been if, if the critical client flow was in step number three? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But part of what has made it what it is today is that the testing and then proving that the market um, you know, is connecting with the message and me choosing the right words and realizing, you know, I'm speaking to the visionary business owner who might not see themselves as a systems person, but they want the results of a system driven business. And they think, well, because I'm not a systems person, I can never have a systems driven business. And I'm saying to them, hey, I'm like you, I'm a creative visionary. I don't even like writing systems and processes. It's just not my thing, but I've, I recognize the value of what systems brings. So I have now found ways to, to build that culture, even though I'm not the one doing the documentation. So when I talk about, you know, this message to business owners, I'm talking about creating time. I'm talking about reducing errors. I'm talking about scaling profits. All of that speaks to that visionary business owner and gets them sort of interested in in the work um but it's yeah the, the only way to learn that is through 
testing it and bringing it to market and building your audience over time, you know, at a Facebook group. And as I'm launching the book, I'm asking people what the subtitle is going to be. I'm sharing the cover with them. I'm enrolling them in the journey so that, you know, people love to support what they've helped to create. Um, and doing that has meant that as my products are hitting the market now, they're connecting with a lot less um, chance of missing because we find that particularly in the SaaS world. The mm. SaaS world is littered with companies that have built software products, spent a truckload of money expecting to build recurring revenue businesses where people sign up and they stick on these things for years to come. They launch the product, they realize it doesn't connect and software is expensive. And if you're two years down the path before you're bringing it to product to market and something's changed and moved or you were just slightly off with your calculation. That's why SaaS companies are so hard. Um, but there's, there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, learning and uh, listening to the audience and understanding their pain better than they can and then creating solutions to solve that pain. Absolutely, 100% agree with that. And, and I think there's a lot of experience, or there's a lot to be said with just your journey of building expertise and working closely with clients through a service business first to really understand those pain points, understand you know the, the nuances of uh, what they're going through. Certainly, you're going through it yourself with the other businesses you, ha you had before that. Um, but then you know, to then go into SaaS, because I see, like you said, I've seen a lot of software founders where that's the first business they've ever done and, yeah. and they go into it thinking oh you know we're gonna be the next airbnb or whatever it may be and uh never get there right they never get the traction um and they've paid you know 80 grand in development costs uh and, and go broke like that we've seen that happen too um so and i think yeah i i think you're right like uh, um that's one of the best things about service-based business. And if you have a service-based business, which oftentimes service-based business, there are challenges to scale those businesses. Um, but what you should be doing is looking and listening to the clients that you're working with because service-based business allows you to work so closely with your target audience and you'll spot recurring problems and challenges that they're having. And then in your head, think about, how can I solve this problem at scale? And that's why I find the best SaaS companies are birthed off the back of a service-based company. That is really fascinating. You're listening to Authentic Influence. Learn the tips, strategies, and practices for taking your influence to the next level. Now, back to the show. Um, let's pivot a little bit into the realm of marketing because uh, that's obviously the space where I live and uh, I've been wanting to just really um, pull back up a few of the layers and, and understanding around how you um, you view marketing uh, and, and any philosophy you might have around uh, the best way to market a business because you've done it many, many times now um, mm. and I'm just curious yeah what's your own personal or professional sort of view on that there's a few things one particularly as you're smaller and you're starting to grow, a real key thing to learn is that marketing needs to happen all the time, regardless of whether or not you need the clients or have capacity or whatever, because it takes time to grab someone's attention, to build up the trust, to get them to a point at which they're ready to do business with you. And particularly if you're smaller and you're going in this feast or famine 
type scenario where a lot of businesses, they'll get work, they'll focus on doing the work, the project will come to the end, and then they'll go, oh, now I've got to think about getting the next client. And then there's this time that happens while they're going from feast to famine. And we see it a lot, particularly in smaller type businesses, you know, businesses like videographers and things like that. They're, it's most notorious for them. What you've got to learn is around this idea of systems and processes and personalized marketing at scale, where you're looking to constantly be delivering your message to your target audience to get them into your funnel, to start to build that relationship. So when it does come time to make that offer, you've got people ready to go and you, you don't then have to scramble. So I think particularly with marketing, um, it's almost like because marketing is a creative thing, uh, then because it's creative, um, oftentimes you don't find that many systems thinkers in that space. Um, it's actually one of the reasons there's, I think um, there's a gentleman I like, uh, see if I can find his book, uh, can't spot it. Oh, there you go. Um, Alan did the one page marketing plan um, yeah. because he, he has a systems mind and then he's applied it to marketing. And it's also why I love the work that you do because th there's a system built in there and it's about consistency. I think that's probably one of the, like a real important key lesson for someone to get that you just need to get systems for marketing that happen consistently that aren't key person dependent. So that way, if you're working with a client or you're doing something as a business owner or whatever, your marketing can still happen. That That's a biggie. Speaking my language, mate. Um, well, <laughs> well, you're one of the most prolific content marketers uh, that I've seen um, over the years. And, and I don't think you'd go up there and go, I'm a content marketer. Uh, but, you know, just looking at what you do on LinkedIn, Twitter, you're on all the platforms. Probably, I don't know if you're on TikTok yet, but um, certainly you and, and the effort you put, you know, and your team put into um, delivering content and, and it's valuable content. So every time I'm reading something from, you know, your 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 feeds, um, whether it's a, vi or I'm watching a video or a snippet that you put out there or even listening to the podcast, um, it's always value driven. Like there's never just a rant. Like it's usually something, you know, so can you talk a bit about just content strategy um, mm -hmm. and, and your approach to really uh, spreading the word about systemology, about what you're doing um, and enrolling people in the vision and the mission of, of what, what that's all about. Mm -hmm. I'm a big uh, believer of, um, I, I want to, lead by example i want to have great quality content that people can derive value from whether or not they purchase anything from us or not it's the same with the book like you can get the systemology book and you'll get the complete method and there's nothing left out there's no oh you know you're gonna have to sign up to the membership before you find out what step number six is um and I think that's what actually makes it quite spreadable and shareable. Like we get coaches and consultants who gift people systemology and, you know, we're coming up into Christmas and we've already had a few people ordering cases of books to gift as presents because the the content, like there's high value there. And I I think about that with everything that we do. And I think someone's time is valuable and I want to train them to listen to what I say when I'm speaking. So if they're going to see something pop up, let's say in their LinkedIn feed, and then they read it, you know, once, 
and they'll go, oh, that was interesting. Then they might read something that I pop up next time. But if you miss the mark, you know, sometimes you only, for some people, you have to miss the mark once and then you don't get their attention again. Sometimes, you know, you might have a few shots at it, but you've you've got to make sure that you're respecting of someone's time. And, and the basic rule is I want to make someone, after they've read one of our posts, say, um, oh, well, that was useful. That was a good use of my time. Not, oh, wow, I'm never going to get that time back again. And then I don't listen. Like it's the same with even the way that I email my database. Um, and we've got a new um, marketing manager who's come on board. And you know, we, we talk about some different philosophies in the way that I approach things. And, you know, it's, it's not uncommon in the internet marketing space for someone, you know, they've got an offer and they're opening up a program and they'll hit you with, you know, one email every single day for that week. And then they'll hit you with a 24-hour notice, a 12-hour notice, a one-hour notice. And it's basically saying the same message over and over and over, like you're trying to yell at someone. Whereas I, I'm kind of, you know, I, I'm training people when I send you an email, I'm not going to send it six times. There's going to be something of interest in there. I'm going to try and make sure it's as interesting for you um, every time that you open it so that next time you read it. And if I make you an offer and you miss the offer, well, next time, make sure that you catch the offer when it comes through. So that that's a big part of the way that, that my marketing thinks as well. And it's hard. Like there's other rules like, you know, I know pop-ups work really, really well. Um, to get people on the list. But there are certain pages and parts of my website where even though I know that it would be advantageous to get more people on the list, I'll, I might say to myself, yeah, but I wouldn't like it if I was in that situation or I'd feel like that was spammy or scammy or whatever. And then I will make a decision, even if it's not you know, potentially optimal because I'm playing more of a long-term game. Um, and I think that is also what sort of shines through. So I suppose the short answer um, to your question is really treating people the way that you would want to be treated with regards to what you're consuming and what's valuable and that sort of thing. Yeah, and I, I know that's been a tough one because obviously we live in the internet marketing space and we've been here for a while uh, and, and there are reports and research and surveys and whatnot that point to yes pop-ups work uh, like you, you alluded to there uh, at the same time we all we've had that experience where we get these pop-ups you know when we visit a site or we're getting these uh drip sequences in an emails where it's during a launch phase uh like i'm just thinking of the last time someone you know like a major guru type person had a launch and, and all their affiliates i had not only the emails from the, the person selling the, the program but from five of their other affiliates that i'm also you know subscribed to i'm getting their emails as well uh and, and it just becomes bombardment uh, and i think that's something we're kind of turning away from um even with black friday right that's become a yeah. thing and it's coming up soon um so i'm i'm just wary of it uh, and and i don't want to give that similar experience to people who are on my list um, mm -hmm. and, you know, and so it, it's, it's, it, it does work, but you got to pay attention to, again, yeah. the long game. Yeah. And a big part is learning to zig when others are zagging. So you just got to think of if everybody's doing something, particularly in marketing, marketing is about getting people's attention. So if you're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, then you're all competing the same way for the same attention. So anything that you can do to find that might be a pattern interrupt, you know, whether it's offline communication, whether it's the way that you email or the way that you don't do something or, um, 
that that's part of it. And understanding how to separate yourself from the crowd is, and that that's one thing I love about marketing. That's the creative bit. Well, glad you. Uh, yeah, we're definitely on the same page. Birds of a feather. So I'm gonna yeah. uh, pull up the uh, your sales page or your your information page for um, your current Catalyst program. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I just wanted to sort of. We're going to wrap up the interview in a moment, but I wanted to have a quick conversation with you around just your use of customer stories, because something that's been really obvious in, in the way you communicate um, and, and the way your brand communicates is sharing success stories. Like that's been integral, you know, whether it's your, your software company or it's your um, coaching programs or events that you're, you know, you're hosting. Yeah. Uh, your emails, I love your emails because in there I'll get an email saying, hey, this is, you know, how, uh, let's say Jason, right? Jason went through our program and this is what happened after he and his champion implemented the uh, uh, some of our, our concepts. Mm. Yeah, so can you talk about why you, you've really invested or chosen to invest in case studies and, and, and yeah. sort of incorporating that in your marketing and, and your communication? Something that might happen on this page because um, when I was talking about the pop-ups, I'm particularly thinking about the um, the main landing page. So it is possible on these deep pages that a pop-up does happen mm. and it'll get someone into the funnel of this particular um, program. Um, but a big part of what you're talking about, when I think about marketing um, and trying to sell a prospect to get them to become a client, the client has or the prospect wants to make sure that you're going to deliver on the promises that you make because you as a marketer and a business owner, you're making a promise to uh, people that you're going to be able to, to do something, sol solve a particular problem. In their head, they're sitting there going, I don't want to pay this person and find that they don't do it and then I don't get the result. So one of the best ways I know to de-risk that situation for the prospect is to basically say, here is someone who was in a similar situation to you, had the same problems and challenges and concerns as you did, and they decided to pull the trigger and work with us, and then they got the great result that I'm promising you now. So that the best way I find to sell is with case studies and case study marketing. Because if I can point to Sarah, who's the, you know, single mum who was starting up her side business and wanted to become a systemologist or find a new business. And um, we introduced her to systemology and she became a systemologist. And then she ended up getting a home run and finding it was the best business that she's ever been involved in. Next time I come across someone like Sarah and I can share that story with her, what a fantastic way to reduce the risk to go, Oh wow! It is possible. They're not just making it up. They've they've got proven results. So I'm obsessed with collecting of proof, and something that I've done in the digital agency, something I'm doing in systemology, whether it's case studies for systemologists who go through our program and get great results, whether it's attendees of our Catalyst program, whether you know we ran a program just recently, which is like a little webinar series, we outreach to them. Um, we we want to tell those stories. It's one of the reasons we work with you and your company. Like I, I 
was talking about this idea of systemizing and making sure it happens consistently and the amount of work that goes into building a great case study, and I know how important it is for marketing, I just find it easier to go to you guys who have that area of expertise and then I say, great, here's a client. They're happy to tell their story. They got a great result. Here, Anthony, you do it. And then you go away and you craft together a fantastic video and story for us and we put it all together and we load it onto the web page and then it becomes, it appears on our sales page. We share it on our social media in our marketing. We add it to the autoresponder sequence in the emails that are getting dripped out and we just put them everywhere to, to tell the story. And that, I mean, you, you, you're on the blog right here and we have a, this is Nick Ruddle. He's out of the UK. He's an action coach and he came across systemology, got bitten by the bug, um, instantly saw that this was a, a hole inside um, the action coach business. Um, and while they talked the importance of systems, they didn't have a methodology for how to help have that happen for clients. And he realized by getting certification as a systemologist, it was a perfect fit. He was already telling clients they should do it anyway. Um, and now he got the chance to go, and I can help you do it. So this is an example of a case study that your team worked on. Um, all I did was connect Nick with your team. You met with him. You did the interview. You edited the video at the top of the page. You wrote all the copy. You delivered it. You sent it back to us in a Google Doc, handed it straight to our web guy, and he built a page. And now this is a, a key part of our marketing. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Thank you so much for just the, the opportunity. I know when we first sort of started working together, for me, it was like, wow, I've been wanting to work with Dave for a while. And I had already seen, here's the thing for me, it's you were already doing it. Like, I didn't have to convince you that this was, you know, important. <laughs> like, you already yes. knew uh, you know, and for you is more of a, well, the opportunity, and I get this question, you know, commonly it's, is why would I outsource it if I could do it myself? Right. Um, and, and so, you know, you spoke to that. that question. I feel yeah, like go I for it, that question because <laughs> I'm, I, we were doing it ourselves and we have the process that we developed internally. Like this was something that, and I think that's actually what made me appreciate your service even more. Because I'd actually done it, I know what it takes to do a really good one of these. And it takes high-quality people with a deep understanding of marketing to ask the right questions, to then be able to select what are the key components of this video recording that are the hot buttons of the target audience that we're trying to press and demonstrate, here's a piece of proof, to get them to go ahead and say, yes, I'm interested enough to fill out a form to request to chat with one of the team or whatever it is. So I, I understand what the difference between a good case study and a bad case study is. And I know all of the moving pieces, like you could just go, you know, for the untrained eye, it's just a one page document that might be 600 words, but there's a huge difference between a great case study and an average case study. And I know how important they are for marketing and to have someone who focuses on this day in and day out, that means you're constantly able to chisel away at this most important system and get that system just right and then be able to deliver that as a service. Um, I mean, I'm not in the game of building case studies. Like I'm, I'm not going to have a done-for-you service. There's no benefit for me 
to constantly chisel away at getting this particular system right, especially when I can lean on your team, do so cost-effectively, tick the box, and then let my marketing team focus on the hundreds of other tasks that we should be doing. And I, I really like that last point because uh, what I, I say to people and business owners in particular is it's not a replacement for your marketing, right? Like it's it's one part of the other things that you're doing. You know, for you, you're speaking on stages or you're hosting events or you're doing podcasts and probably a new book's probably on the way <laughs> if, if you're there. Um, uh, but it, it, it's, it's meant to actually... Uh, be you know an addition or an inclusion within a marketing uh, mix, and that's why we talked about strategy earlier. Um, and also, it's also part I've seen or had feedback that it's really integral within the sales process because when you're you know when you've got someone who's you know been following you or, or they have some you know read your book uh, and now they're considering your program, your product, whatever it may be, uh, you know at that point it's timely to then share a case study, right, or a few. Uh, and mm. can you sort of speak to um, this question that I get a lot from from founders is, you know, how do you measure the effect, effectiveness of a case study or case mm. studies? Um, what would you say to that, Dave? Um, when I think about um, the exact ROI on something, I mean, it's the, I get the same question with systemology and putting systems in your business. What is the ROI of putting a system in, in your business? And nothing happens in a vacuum. There are so many moving parts. And what I look for uh, as a business owner, because I know I've got limited resources, where are the areas that I can work on one thing that has a lifetime value that will continue to pay over a very long period of time that ticks multiple boxes so it's not just about writing a case study for me because the case study then becomes an autoresponder email. The case study then becomes a piece of content I can share on social media. The case study then becomes a post on our website that we can SEO and optimize. The case study becomes a core part of the way that we sell. And when a sales team member chats with a prospect and the prospect gets to the end and the salesperson says, hey, I'm going to send you a quick email Look, as soon as we chatted here, I realized that, you know, you're a little bit like Nick Ruddle and I'm going to send you a case study of Nick telling about Nick's story because Nick was in your place. So I look for activities and how do you quantify that? I can't give you an ROI on all of those because nothing happens in a vacuum, all of these different things, and I'm potentially profiting in multiple different ways. So the aim of the game for me is to look for activities where I get a huge amount of profit potential and 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 return for that singular effort. And case study marketing is one of those. Thank you. <laughs> I wait on my shoulders. I'm like, man, this guy gets it. That's why I wanted you to, to be on this podcast and to also be part of my book. Um, we're going to wrap up with two questions, Dave. Quick one. Is there a podcast, a book, or a resource that you'd recommend uh, that you think that is, has, has really helped you uh, in terms of understanding and, and implementing marketing systems uh, that would be useful useful for other uh, founders or marketers that are listening to this right now? Look, I, I kind of, when I think about systemology, systemology um, is a way of thinking about business. And then if you think of your business as a system, underneath that system, there are little subsystems. There's a marketing system, there's a sales system, there's an operation system, there's a HR system, there's a finance system, and all of this sits in this bigger system that is your business. 
So when I, I drill into just the marketing piece and you want to understand the marketing system, um, one book that jumps out at me, and we jumped, we talked about it earlier, I can't go past uh, Alan Dibbs, the one-page marketing plan, because mm. he talks about the marketing as a system that fits into effectively the bigger ecosystem that is systemology. Systemology is the foundation and the building blocks of business. And then the way that he views marketing fits so perfectly in that. So when I, I, as a, you know, when I think about systemology, I look for who are my department experts for each one of those different departments that gets how their department should work through the lens of a systems thinking approach. And, and that's really what I, I look for because I'm not the expert in marketing. I'm not the expert in HR or finance or things like that. You know, we connect with the Bean Ninjas, the Alan Dibbs, the Rami Ali Jeels, the like the different subject matter experts. And then they help us define what is the system. And what is a system? It's about a a recurring set of steps that when followed create this consistent outcome. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for consistent outcomes in each of the departments. Love it. And I'm going to have to get Alan onto the show soon because I we've, we've been, we met last year, no, pre-pandemic. We, we met at uh, yes. Dramco's event and was kind of like, hey, we should do something soon. But <laughs> thanks yeah. for the um, Last question for you. Now that we're in this world of working from home, and, and I think I don't know if Melbourne's back in another lockdown or whatnot, I think you're free to hit the streets. Uh, but what's one thing that you've been doing uh, for your own mental health and well-being? Um, now that we're off lockdown, uh, it's just exercise. I love doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I don't do it as much as I would like, um, but that's some form of exercise seems to be the best outlet for my brain and my body. Getting into your body and, and getting out of your head because I yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just guy that you're probably in your head a lot, so <laughs> that's really cool. I like that. But even, you, know, you said Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so I'm going to question that because that's that's also very strategic. <laughs> if you're ah, yes, it's, it's the, the yeah. kiss of martial arts. Uh, I love absolutely. It. All right, mate. I appreciate your time and and just your energy and and all you bring to uh, to certainly to our business, but to just the community at large. Um, for everyone else, uh, definitely head over to systemology.com, grab the book. Um, check out the program and, and also if you're not um, connected to Dave on his LinkedIn, his Twitter, please do. Um, and then you've got a ton of resources on, on the website which people can access templates and whatnot. And well, here you go. Here's my copy. So there it is. Ah, very good. <laughs> nice say, next to my wife for giving that to me. Um, but again, hey, Dave, uh, any last messages or thoughts before we say bye? No, the, the main thing is just I hope um... – I can relight that fire inside the business owner, you, to go, systems are important, they're urgent, you might not feel that you're a systems person, but that doesn't mean you can't own a systems-driven business. Um, systems form the building blocks of business. This is something, if you want to be a business owner, that you must master. Uh, and I'm hoping that I just sparked enough of a flame or an interest that you'll go, yeah, I'm going to get the systemology book or I'm going to look into this idea of business systems because I've seen businesses that run by systems and those that don't. And it's a night and day difference. Like there is no comparison. Businesses run better when they're driven by systems. 
And with that, I'm going to say thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And if you're watching the replay or listening, uh, please leave your comments and questions. And if there's anything that, that you want Dave to answer, uh, we, we're always in contact. So uh, I'll let him know. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll see you real soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Authentic Influence podcast at AuthenticInfluence.co. 